In Flanders' fields, the poppies blow, between the crosses, row on row. Ask most people in Canada what comes to mind when they hear the word poppy, and they might think of Remembrance Day and the poem In Flanders' Fields, written by Canadian physician John McRae during the First World War. More than a century later, we're waging another battle over a substance first derived from the poppy plant, Papaverum somniferum. The opioid crisis is a public health emergency that has claimed over 19,000 lives in Canada since 2016, according to the Public Health Agency of Canada. Today, our patient has opioid use disorder, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled The Poppy's Curse, Part 1. Time for our minute physiology. Opioids mimic the body's natural endorphins, which are neurotransmitters that bind to opioid receptors across your body to achieve key effects of homeostasis, analgesia, and sometimes euphoria. An opioid use disorder develops when consumption of opioids causes excessive dopamine release, resulting to a dysfunctional rewiring of the brain's reward pathway. Concurrent mental health disorders, a past history of substance use disorder, and prior trauma elevate the risk of opioid misuse. It is now believed that some of this trauma may be inherited intergenerationally. To recognize an opioid use disorder, you can refer to the DSM diagnostic criteria for substance use disorder and remember the four C's of addiction. One, the compulsion to use opioids. Two, strong cravings for opioids. Three, use despite negative consequences. And four, loss of control over use. All right, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach to opioid overdose and withdrawal, two common acute presentations of opioid use disorder. Opioid overdose can be life-threatening, so make sure to involve your senior early on to help you start management up front. More details on this soon. Begin your assessment with vitals and the basics of airway, breathing, and circulation. Ask yourself, is my patient awake enough to protect their airway, and are they breathing enough to maintain adequate oxygenation and ventilation? If not, they may need naloxone right away. On history, which may be limited to collateral reports, ask whether the patient recently used short-acting or long-acting opioids, what route of administration they used, and whether they mixed this with any other substances. Note that illicit opioids may be mixed with other sedating or stimulating substances without the user's knowledge. On physical exam, look for signs of opioid toxicity, such as low respiratory rate, decreased level of consciousness, and pinpoint pupils. However, the absence of these signs does not exclude opioid toxicity, particularly in the case of co-ingestions causing a mixed toxidrome. You may also observe mild hypothermia, hypotension, and bradycardia on vitals. Pay attention for any signs of trauma and inspect the skin for transdermal fentanyl patches. Patients may also have track marks on their limbs or neck if they inject drugs. Focus your investigations on assessing toxicology and ruling out other causes of decreased level of consciousness. Order a basic toxicology screen, including acetaminophen, salicylate, and ethanol levels, ECG, blood gas, and other chemistry required to calculate the anion and osmolar gap. A urine toxicology can assist with future initiation of opioid agonist therapy, but this may be falsely positive or negative and should be interpreted with caution in the acute care setting. 
If clinically indicated, order blood work and imaging for other causes of altered mental status, such as head trauma, infection, or metabolic disturbances. Now, you've probably heard of naloxone, also known as Narcan, as the reversal agent for opioid overdose with intravenous, intramuscular, and intranasal routes of administration. So what dose should you order? This depends on your patient's breathing status. Remember the number 12 as your target respiratory rate. If your patient is already at this target and protecting their airway, you may be able to simply observe them in a closely monitored setting with supplemental oxygen as needed. If your patient is apneic or breathing slowly, administer 0.2 to 1 mg of naloxone intravenously or intramuscularly in repeated doses until you reach that target rate of 12. Apneic patients may require ventilatory support by bag mask or mechanical ventilation depending on their response to naloxone. If your patient goes into cardiac arrest from suspected opioid overdose, call a code blue and give 2 to 4 mg of naloxone stat. Note that patients who overdose on long-acting opioids such as methadone may require a continuous naloxone infusion due to its short half-life, but dosing naloxone is a careful balance between too much and not enough. A patient who receives too much naloxone may wake to a state of distressing withdrawal. To prevent this, try to target a normal respiratory rate rather than full wakefulness. Let's move on to managing a patient in opioid withdrawal. If you can recall the euphoria of the happiest moment of your life, try now to imagine the polar opposite of that feeling. This is what patients in opioid withdrawal experience, along with other distressing symptoms, such as diffuse pain, nausea and diarrhea, chills and sweats, anxiety, and restlessness. On exam, you may also observe tachycardia, midriasis, rhinorrhea, frequent yawning, piloerection, and significant patient distress. The severity of a patient's opioid withdrawal can be monitored using the Clinical Opiate Withdrawal Scale, or COWS score. Here you should order the same basic toxicology screen as you would for opioid overdose. Note that many features of opioid withdrawal are nonspecific and may require further investigation. For example, tachycardia and diaphoresis could also indicate sepsis particularly if accompanied by fever and leukocytosis. Keep your differential broad. Wondering how to help your patient feel better and manage their withdrawal? Your first option is to order repeated buprenorphine doses based on frequent reassessments of your patient's COWS score, which is a process best guided by your local addictions team or an opioid withdrawal protocol order set. A note of caution here. Buprenorphine has the potential to precipitate withdrawal if started earlier than 12 hours after a patient's last opioid dose, or before reaching a COWS score above 12, or in patients with recent fentanyl or methadone use. One example of a buprenorphine initiation protocol is included in the infographic for this podcast. Your second option is to prescribe a regimen of scheduled and breakthrough opioids, such as morphine or hydromorphone scheduled every 4 hours, with breakthrough doses every 2 hours as needed. Remember that people who inject opioids, especially fentanyl, are likely to need fairly high doses of parenteral opioids to successfully treat their withdrawal. For patients with high opioid requirements who also wish to start opioid agonist therapy, methadone may be preferred over buprenorphine, 
which can again be guided by your local addictions team. Symptomatic management of opioid withdrawal may also include acetaminophen for pain, dimenhydrinate for nausea, and loperamide for diarrhea. Consider clonidine as an adjunct to blunt withdrawal symptoms if your patient's blood pressure and heart rate can tolerate it. For anxiety, however, note that benzodiazepines and opioids do not mix well. Because this combination can cause a refractory overdose, avoid benzodiazepines in both opioid overdose and withdrawal. We'll spend our medicine minute with one more pearl to commit to memory. Your management doesn't stop at treating overdose and withdrawal. Canadian guidelines on the management of opioid use disorder strongly recommend against offering withdrawal management alone without transition to long-term addiction treatments, as this approach has been associated with higher rates of relapse and death. So how do you transition from acute to chronic management of opioid use disorder? Tune in to our second episode to explore the nuances of long-term treatment with opioid agonist therapy. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled The Poppy's Curse, Part 1. This episode was written by Dr. Clara Liu, General Internal Medicine Fellow, and reviewed by Dr. Lori Regenstreif, Addictions Medicine Specialist, and Dr. Leslie Martin, General Internist. The Internet Works series was created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. This episode was recorded and produced by Leia Karianopoulos. Music production by Lakshmi Vasanthamoan. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out our website, www.theinternetwork.com, for associated resources and infographics. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.